everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. I love, I, I really enjoy seeing, we took our boys to see the star yesterday, and um, I don't know what it was, I, mean, I know what it was about that movie, but I'm not usually like a boo-hoo crier at movies, but man, that one got me. Like Kelly, at the end of it, she was like trying to get my attention, uh, as we often do when we're getting ready to uh, wrangle our boys and leave any location, and uh, man, I, it, it just jacked me up. So I'd encourage you, if you can find a theater that's still showing it, check it out. It's a great movie. But it really sets us up. Over the last uh, few weeks, we've been in a series called Come to Worship. And it, we've been looking at four different ways, different expressions of biblical worship. These are not the only expressions of biblical worship, but, but there are four specific things that we wanted to look at and highlight, and particularly drawing from the Matthew 2 passage, when the wise men have come to worship Jesus. In week one, we talked about lifting up holy hands to the Lord. We lift up hands, and and when we do this, it's both a sign of victory and surrender. When you think of crossing the finish line, winning a championship, instantly hands go up. It's a sign of victory, and at the same time, it's an act of surrender. Lord, you have my all. I give it all to you. We looked in the second week. And what does it mean to bring our gifts to the Lord? What does it mean to bring our time, talent, and treasure? As I mentioned before, not just coming to get, but coming to give and to surrender it all. And particularly honoring God with our wealth, with our resources. Then last week, we unpacked what does it look like to pour out our hearts to God in worship. That God can actually receive and he desires our unfiltered, uh, our unfiltered worship. What does that mean? That means you don't have to pray in the KJV. That means you can let him know your deep, darkest secret because he actually already knows it. He just wants you to know that he knows it so you can express it. Y'all with me this morning? Y'all with me this morning? All right. Also, for those of you who are visiting, I want to let you know, we like to have a conversation, so feel free to speak. You can say amen, well, God bless you, but just don't cuss at me, all right? That gets a little awkward, and it's bad for the podcast. Not the peed or the fod, the podcast. Um, uh, And uh, so anyway, and and this week particularly, we're going to talk about bowing our knee or kneeling before the Lord. Taking it up from Matthew, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, Matthew is the first of the Gospels, which is the beginning of the New Testament. If you're kind of new and uh, exploring your Bible for a first time, it's in the latter third. The wise men have come to Jesus, or they're getting ready to walk in and experience him for the first time. So beginning... In verse 10, it says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Why were they so joyous? These wise men were so excited because for centuries and centuries, people, the people of God, had been longing for the fulfillment of prophecies that had gone long ago of a Messiah, that a Messiah would come to make all things right, to restore people to God, to restore fellowship. And these wise men have been traveling approximately over 900 miles on a 900-mile journey 
following a star that they're hoping will lead them to the coming Messiah, that after centuries they would get to behold him. It says in verse 11, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Now, as we saw on the video and as we're usually accustomed to, typically when we see uh, nativity scenes or we see the movies or we see the Christmas cards, generally the shepherds, the wise men, the cows, the dove, all of them are in the same picture together. They're all in the same photo op. Nobody had to be photoshopped later. Um, they were all there together. Now, although that makes a great postcard, it's fun for a movie, it helps things out. Historically, the most, more historically accurate version, according to the theologians and as we've studied the scripture, is that the wise men actually come, not when Jesus was like fresh baked about four days old. The wise men actually came when Jesus was around two years old. Now, if you've ever had a two-year-old, if you know a two-year-old, if you've played a two-year-old on TV, you know that there is a vast difference between a four-day-old and a two-year-old. There is a vast difference between, you know, uh, little Lucas Mayer, Jason and Letha Mayer's little precious baby who's about four days old, and John Bon Jovi, my son. Right? Let me tell you. This is like, it's like toddler, like terrible twos. Now, I know it's Jesus, and Jesus was perfect, you know, but we're talking about a two-year-old here. Now, if you don't have kids, or maybe when you were younger, I know it was a little bit different for me because I grew up, I'm the oldest of seven, so I kind of got to experience it. But it's so easy to try to judge people that have kids in, in public, right? You sit there, you see their kids, maybe they're wilding out, maybe they're showing out. I think that there's a timer with children where it's almost like, I think it's almost like American Gladiator, where when you walk into a public place, particularly a restaurant, it's like I feel like somebody sitting in the corner going, all right, now we're going to see if John and Kelly can get out without cussing their children out. Go! You know, and see how many things can happen, how many people have to pee at the same time. Or actually, one of the amazing skills that some children, especially have multiples, develop is staggered peeing. They don't have to pee all at the same time. They have to pee at five-minute intervals. So you have to constantly go back to the bathroom. But you could judge, like, oh, my kids will never be like that. They'll never be like that. I would never let my children be babysat by an iPad. I would never do this. And you do all these things until you start having children yourself and they break you down to the last compound to where you're like, take candy, take whatever you do, just try not to scream and knock everything over. Now, that's not the only way we parent. You know, the Lord has helped us and he's guided us and our kids. No, you cannot have the iPad later on today. But What's amazing to me is you would look at, we've got, if you need to see a two-year-old, we've got two-year-olds. We've got three-year-olds. We've got little ones, and you've seen little ones. And yet these wise men were overjoyed, not just to come, but their response in the presence of Jesus was to bow down, to kneel down. Now, this expression of worship is very, it's actually not uncommon at all, particularly when we look at the scripture. We see that there is a Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is shakah. It's used 170 times in scripture. It means to bow down, to lay flat, to lay prostrate in worship. 
we see a similar word in the New Testament. It's, a, it's in the Greek, it's proskineu, and it's a combined word which means to kiss towards or to, to lay at the feet. It kind of refers to the picture of a dog laying at the feet of his master. And it's this sense of complete, uh, complete surrender, that, that I, am, I am making myself low, I am recognizing that the, the object of my worship and affection is great, is higher than myself. Now, I think sometimes, particularly in our Western context, our American context, this expression of worship is maybe not as common or maybe a little bit difficult for us to grasp with at times, particularly when it comes, whether it's uh, when it comes towards the Lord, because many times we lose the perspective of the holiness of God. Like, if you were just to see my son running around, or one of my boys, or a two-year-old, your response would not be immediately to fall to your knees and worship. Like, you might pass out because the diaper is rank. But your response would not be to worship. And our response is directly connected to our revelation. You see, in, if you look at the book of Isaiah, there's an encounter in Isaiah 6 where the prophet Isaiah is experiencing the fullness of the glory of God. It says that when he's looking upon God and his majesty, he says, I saw the Lord seated high upon the throne. And it mentions that there are these angels called the seraphim, which means burning ones. So these massive, almost like flaming dragon type angels circling around him. And it says they have six wings with Two sets of the wings, with two of the wings, they cover their feet. With two of the wings, they fly. And with two of the wings, they cover their eyes. Why were they covering their eyes? Because the glory and the majesty and the holiness of God was so great and so bright and so powerful that these angelic beings could not look upon the unfiltered glory of God and holiness of God without falling dead. In view of this, Isaiah sees this sight and falls flat on the ground and says, Whoa, am I? I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. It is through the revelation of the holiness of God that we fall to our faces, that we fall to our knees, that we recognize he is not just, it wasn't just a random two-year-old. This was the fulfillment of the prophecy. This was the great reconciler. This is the great restorer, the great rescuer, the great redeemer. We want to be reminded. We've got to remind ourselves of the holiness of God. Moses, who many of us are familiar with, whether you've grown up in the church or not, Moses, he wanted to see God. I would say if there was anyone throughout history that knew of and had a closeness relationship with God, it would have been Moses. And yet Moses could not see God face to face. Moses wanted to see God and he couldn't handle the full glory of God lest he would die. And so God allowed him to just get a glimpse of himself, a glimpse of his backside as he hid him in the cleft of the rock. It was just like just seeing a glimpse of him forever changed him. We see as you further read in Scripture that just that look forever changed Moses to the point that he would have to actually veil himself because his face would glow with the radiance of the glory of God. We also see that in the old tabernacle system 
the old tabernacle where people would come and engage the presence of God. There were layers. You couldn't just go right into the holiest of holies. The holiest of holies is where the presence of God would dwell. And the only one that could enter that place in annually was the high priest. Now, to let you know about this, even the high priest, they, they kind of had safeguards and security just in case the high priest, like, wasn't all high uh, or maybe too high, whatever, whatever he was doing. But one of the things they would do is when they built the ephod or the robe that the high priest wore, they had bells, like little jingle bells, on the bottoms of them. And so you could hear if my man was moving. If you didn't hear the jingle, it wasn't good. But just in case, they had a rope, and they would tie the rope to his leg. And so if, when he went into the holiest of holies, if homie dropped dead, can you imagine that situation? Like, the guy's like trying to draw straws, rock, pepper, scissors. No, nah, I'm not going in there. <laughs> I'm not going in. All right, just pull the rope. Just pull the rope. So literally, they would put a rope on him so that they could drag them out and nobody else had to go in after him. Why? Because there was, God is so holy. There can be no sin. In him, there can be no sin, no darkness. He is holy. He is set apart. He's like nothing you've ever experienced, nothing you've ever seen. He loves like no one you've ever known. He forgives like no one else. He has his merciful like no one else. His kindness is like no one else. His authority, his power, his wisdom is like nothing we could imagine. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He is higher and greater than we could ever imagine. He is holy. And, and one of the interesting things about him is that when you read Scripture, he actually, there's never a time where he commands us to bow. You will see in Scripture other times, particularly in the Psalms, where the psalmist will call us to bow and worship, or particularly exhortation in the New Testament or various places where people will call us to worship him. But the only thing God himself actually calls us to not do is to not bow down to other gods. It's amazing. It's like he already, he assumes and he recognizes that if we know him, if we have come into a revelation of who he is, he doesn't have to tell us how to respond. That when we come into relationship with him, when we come to know this king, that surrender is the proper response. Now, I want to call us, you know, we do this series and it's not just so that we can talk about some fun topics or just gain more head knowledge. It's because we practically want to understand why it is we do what we do. Or we want to understand what are the ways that we can express our affection to him. I want to make very clear that we do not sing or lift our hands or bow down or, or worship the Lord with our finances. We don't do these things to gain his love. We don't do these things to conjure him up like a snake coming out of the basket or rub the genie in the bottle that he will pop up if we sing the right song or we sing Oceans again or we sing whatever song is popular. Oh, good, good father. Oh, you called? That's not why we do these things. We do it because before we ever worshiped him, he loved us. We love because he first loved us. We don't worship for his love. We worship in response to his love. Y'all hear me this morning. I want us to get that because it's not just about hearing it over the course of a month. It's about putting it into practice. 
And so practically, what does it mean when we kneel? What are the different expressions of kneeling? In Mark 10, 17, there's a story of a rich young ruler. And he is in pursuit of a lot of things. But it says in verse 17 of chapter 10, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? One of the ways that we kneel is that we kneel in pursuit. Everybody say pursuit. We kneel in pursuit. Now, you hear this particularly in great 90s R&B songs or in Motown songs where they talk about falling on my knees, right? I'm pursuing somebody. I'm pursuing this relationship. You know, I'm down on bended knee. Come on, boys to men. Right? I'm on my knees. Please, please. You know, whatever. It's a pleading. It's I'm in pursuit of something, and I'm going to fall over myself. It's like if you ever watch baseball, and you see people running for that base, and they go sliding. They go prostrate. It's like I am pursuing something that we can fall to our new knees in pursuit and drawing near to God. In making ourselves lower, sometimes there's just something about aligning our physical bodies to be in a line with a, a spiritual reality that changes things. Sometimes you just have to step out. Too often in our culture, people are dictated to by their feelings. Well, I don't feel like bowing. I don't feel like raising my hands. I don't feel like doing that. And yet, there's just some things in life that you got to do even if you don't feel like it. I don't know how many adults or people in here, I know that we got, probably got some kids in here that feel the same way, that you wake up and you're like, I don't feel like adulting today. I don't. I don't feel like paying anybody for any bills. I don't feel like picking anybody up, dropping anybody off. I, don't feel, I sure don't feel like wiping anybody's bottom that is not my own. Right? You just don't feel like it. You know? Or you don't feel like obeying the laws. You don't feel like doing uh, doing certain things that are good for you, there's times where we've got to step beyond and kneel, even if we don't feel it, but in pursuit. There's a lot of people, I'll be included, that you're going to do a lot of things in 2018 in pursuit of something that you don't yet have, in pursuit of something that you hope to acquire and develop. And what you will do is you will bow the other, you will bow your schedule, you will bow your resources, you will bow other things. You will kneel and submit it because you are in pursuit of that accomplishment. One of the ways that we kneel before the Lord, that we bow, is in pursuit. Second thing, we also kneel in repentance. Kneel in repentance. There's something about Christmas that can often magnify some of the aches and pains and conflicts in our life, particularly, you know, if there was a relational conflict that you have with a family member and it's easy to avoid it or forget it when they live several states away, or at least like maybe you live in Fishers and they live in Greenwood, so that's far enough. Um, But, you know, when the holiday comes, all of a sudden you're like, oh, no, I'm going to have to see them. Oh, Jesus, I have to get them a gift. No, Lord. No, God. All right, they're just going to get a gift certificate. That's it, you know. Which, by the way, some people, sometimes you just need to get a gift certificate. You know what I'm saying? Don't try to guess. Don't get that ugly Paisley shirt. They didn't want that. Just get them a, just get them a gift certificate. I just saved somebody. I just saved somebody right now. <laughs> I knew I'd get a couple amens out of that. God bless them. But there is that. It, it's when we have these things, it kind of magnifies the areas in our lives that we need to repent of. The pride the thing that we've been holding on to. 
even as we come here. One of the reasons I think some people, they try to avoid the only time they come to church, maybe on Christmas and Easter, is because they're afraid of that feeling, that call, and that draw to repentance. I, I want, there's a difference between shame and condemnation and Holy Spirit conviction. And sometimes we try to avoid coming into the house of God or coming in the presence of God because we have almost made it as though any conviction is bad. Don't tell me to change. Why, why can't you just love me without telling me to change? Don't you understand that God calls us to change because he loves us, right? If you go to the physician and he says, you have this disease, if you will do this, you will live. If you do not, you will die. Your response to the physician is not going to be, why do you want to change me? Just love me, doctor. Love me. No. You can die or you can change and live. And it's that same way. Is that it's a call when we come into his presence. We kneel. We bow ourselves. We bow our lives. You know, uh, there's a story, an account where Peter, Peter's fishing, and Peter, and he's one of the disciples, one of the, he's one of the apostles, and Jesus is encountering him. Now, Peter is a fisherman. Jesus was a carpenter. And Peter has been fishing all night on one side. His nets have been on one side. And Jesus comes, and they haven't caught anything all night. And Jesus goes, hey, uh, Peter, why don't you put your net on the other side? Now, I don't know if Peter was thinking this. Maybe I'd have thought it. But I think Peter would be like, you know what, Jesus, man, I appreciate it. You are a great communicator, and I've seen your work in the carpentry. You got some great tables going on. That finish was superb. But I'm a fisherman. I've been doing this all night. I think I would know, right? Peter, he's like, you know what, but just because you say so, you know, Lord, Savior, Rescuer, we'll go ahead and put them on the other side. He says, they put the nets on the other side, and there were so many fish that the nets began to break. And, and, and in this, it says, uh, Luke 5, 8, it says, When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I am too much of a sinner to be around you. How many times have we been doing the same thing over and over again? Man, I've been trying. God, why are you trying? I've been trying this the whole time. I've been doing this. Or particularly when it comes to uh, this happens a lot, I think, when we've been churched or we've grown up in a religious culture, is we think we've tried the God thing. I can't tell you how many times I've encountered somebody who used to grow up in church or went to church and doesn't go anymore, and I talked about Jesus. like, man, that's really nice. I used to do the God thing, but that just didn't work for me. What didn't work for them was just religiosity. What didn't work for them was just uh, uh, maybe a process of do's and don'ts because they never really had a relationship with the person of Jesus. But Jesus works every time. And whenever you listen to him and do what he says, it's going to work out. But it calls us to bow, to kneel in repentance. The last expression, the last way in which we kneel is to kneel in submission. Um, my brother Ephraim, one of the many of us, uh, for a little bit of time, he fought as an MMA fighter in mixed martial arts. Now, I know some of you, you might not like fighting, might not, you might think it's a little too violent, but, you know, I kind of enjoyed it. So anyway, 
Um, and uh, my brother Ephraim, I thought it was perfect for him because he always had a little pent-up aggression. And I was like, hey, you can go beat up somebody. And it's cool. And so he did it. And I really, I love going to his fights. But, you know, it was kind of like it was such a conflict because I just don't like people beating up on my brother because I just want to jump in there as well. But then I was like, you know what? You've been working out. I have I'm just going to stay over here and cheer him on. <laughs> and uh, a couple of his fights... He actually won, shockingly, because I just think he was just going to be more of a pounder, but he would win because what he would do is he would put them in a submission hold. He actually put them in a guillotine neck hold, and they would tap out, tap out and surrender. You know what? I'm done. I'm done fighting. I give up. You win. You know, there are many times where God, we are just fighting, we're stubborn, you know, whether it's, you know, I remember... You know, and through parenting, there are different phases where your kids will kind of test, especially if you have boys, they will test the reins of alpha dog status. And, I mean, we have had some epic showdowns in the Owens household. I'm not going to put anybody on blast because the three of them are sitting right here. Uh, But there are just times where you're just like, you know, we had this uh, uh, one moment where I was trying, you know, Aaron is like a rock. Aaron is unshakable. He is faithful. He is steadfast. And my man was like, he did not want to look me in the eye one time. And so literally, I was like, Aaron, I was trying to reconcile. I was trying to, I wanted to see that I loved him. And I was talking to him. I was like, Aaron, look me in the eye. And I had my glasses on. Actually, I took my glasses off and I was looking at him. We call it, when I take off my glasses, I'm looking at him with my real eyes. And he goes, he would look down. He goes, I don't want to see your real eyes. Put your glasses on. I don't want to see your real eyes. When we had this showdown, there's something about, there's times where we just kind of, whether we think we're right or we know we're wrong and don't want to admit it, where we are just stubborn. I don't know if you, I think I have definitely walked, as one pastor called me out, he said, John, he goes, some people don't know, what, they, they run for me and they don't know what they're doing. You run for me, you know exactly what you're doing. I kind of had that Jonah spirit on me for a little bit. Where I was like, God, I know you're saying this, but I don't want it. I remember having a lady when I was young, a young boy, uh, the, my, my grandmother's pastor, his mom, so she was like a wise old sage, um, she had come up to me after a service and she was like, young man, it doesn't matter what you think you're going to do, you're going to be a preacher. And I was like, man, you old crazy lady, leave me alone. I don't want to be a preacher. I want to be a power ranger. That's what I'm working on. I'm taking karate lessons right now. I'm on the path to be the black ranger. And not just because I'm African-American. Um, you know, I didn't want to hear it. And she was like, you can run from it all you want. You're just going to make your testimony stronger, young man. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> Leave me alone. Crazy lady. You know, and I fought it. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to be a worship leader. I would tell people when I was in, in a Christian band, right, in the Christian band at Anderson University, and then we ended up moving to Nashville, I would say, you know what, I'm not a worship leader. I can lead worship. I'm an artist. I'm a singer-songwriter, and we'll lead worship if you want to, but I'm not a worship leader. And I would say that, and that was my stick, because there was this thing in me. It was some insecurity. It was some hurt and offense from some of the things that I'd seen in the church that I didn't want anything a part of. It was this insecurity that felt like I was less than, that God, God and I, we still had some issues, and I didn't really want to totally trust my life to him. And I remember it came to a point, finally, in, uh, at a college conference in North Carolina at Duke University in Page Auditorium, where God spoke the word, and I knew I surrender. I found myself, I was so cut to the heart. 
I was so broken and blown away, honestly, by God's loving kindness and his patience with me. I couldn't even eat. Lunch was after this session. I found a broom closet somewhere off at Duke's campus, and I fell on my knees next to the bucket and just started weeping and crying out to God. I remember one of the youth pa- college pastors, he, he heard me, and he opened up the closet, and he looked in, and I thought, oh, God, you've sent an, an angel to minister to me. And he looked at me, and he said, it's about time, and he closed the door and walked on. But the ultimate expression, the ultimate description of bowing is that of surrender and submission. He says, you are great. You are holy. I place myself under you, recognizing that you are the master. Worship team, come on up. You know... One of my favorite songs, I'm sure, even if you don't come to church, just when you think of all the different Christmas carols, there's something about that song, O Holy Night. And part of what was wrecking me when I was watching the star and when I've been thinking just about coming to worship, even now, is this revelation that It wasn't just us, humanity, that was anticipating the coming of Jesus. That all of the angels, all of creation, were looking forward to it. I mentioned in Isaiah 6 that there are these angels, these angelic beings that circled around the King Jesus, around King, and... They could not imagine this, that from all eternity past, you as an angelic being have circled. And even though they can only see a bit of him through their covered winged eyes, just the glimpse that they had caused them to yell, holy, 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 on and on and on. Just the glimpse. Can you imagine being that close in proximity to the very one who made you and designed you and yet not being able to see this glorious person? Except when word got around heaven that God so loves the world that he is coming to be enclosed in flesh that Jesus is going to be revealed and on the day that Jesus came forth it was not just a revelation to humanity it was a revelation to all the heavens and the earth that for the first time the angels would be able to see the unveiled face of glory what a holy night it was Not just the arrival of a baby, but a declaration that the king had come. The rescuer had come. It was an announcement to the kingdom of darkness. You lose. So today, as we end in worship, 
I want to call you to worship. Not everybody has to kneel. Whether you want to use any of the expressions that we've talked about, lifting up your hands today. Maybe you need to lift your hands in surrender. Maybe you need to lift your hands in victory. Thankful for what he's done. I tell you this right now. When I think of those, when I was watching the star, I just thought, Lord, I have never wanted to be a donkey so much in my life or a barnyard animal to be able to look upon the face of my Savior and say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for this wife that you've blessed me with. Thank you for, you, for these beautiful babies. Thank you for my first daughter and thank you for my second daughter. Thank you for rescuing me out of the pit. Face to face. Now, there will come a time where Jesus will return, not as a baby, but as a victorious and mighty king, to once and for all to sh shut down the works of the enemy, where it says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Now, I got to wait to see him face to face, but I don't have to wait to come to worship. You don't have to wait to come and worship the king. Let's stand together. Let's lift our hands. Let's pour out our hearts. Let's bring all that we are. If you want to fall to your knees, if you need to get some room, get some room. But let's focus our hearts right now on this great king that has come to us that came to live the life that we should have lived, the perfect sinless life, that took on the full weight of the punishment of sin, our sin, so that we would be free, so that we would be, once again, could be reconciled to God, not based on our righteousness, but His righteousness, not because we are good, but because He is good. Father, help us this morning. Lord, help us to see you. Help us to have a true revelation of who you are. And help us to respond accordingly. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.